After a longer break than originally planned, hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice, where I take you on a gentle stroll through the archives. Together, we'll discover intriguing tales about people and events that happened in the past, all of which will be brought to life by an array of amazing voice talent from across the world. We have stories about a huge variety of subjects, from activists to war heroes, creatives and, of course, murderers. We have it all. So get ready for the latest instalment of the Backtracker History Show, bringing the past back to life. The tragic event I'll be talking about today occurred in the year 1949, and regular listeners amongst you will know that it's at this point that we talk about other things that happened that year. Well, on the 25th of March that year, Laurence Olivier's film Hamlet becomes the first British film to win a Best Picture Oscar. On the 1st of April, the Marquis of Bath opens Longleat House to paying visitors This was the first privately owned stately home to do so. On the 20th of April, the Royal Navy frigate HMS Amethyst goes up to the Yangtze River to evacuate British Commonwealth refugees escaping the advance of Mao's communist forces. Under heavy fire, it runs aground off Rose Island, and after an aborted rescue attempt on the 26th of April, it anchors 10 miles upstream. Negotiations with the communist forces to let the ship leave drag on for weeks, during which time its cat, Simon, raises the crew's morale. On the 8th of June 1949, George Orwell's dystopian novel 1984 is published in London by Secker and Warburg. And lastly, on the 24th of August, Old Trafford Football Stadium, home to Manchester United Football Club, is reopened following a comprehensive rebuild after extensive bomb damage by the Luftwaffe eight years earlier. But the event we'll be talking about today occurred on the 30th of June 1949, when Gertrude O'Leary failed to open her off-license. One of her customers knew something was wrong, so he called the police, who made a shocking discovery. Word of the week. This week, my friends, we are looking into the history of the word ketchup, or tomato sauce if you're in the UK. The word ketchup could be derived from the Chinese word kochiap, a pickled fish sauce used for seasoning dishes. In the 17th century, the English discovered the sauce and tried to recreate it using a variety of ingredients like mushrooms and oysters. And when the English settlers went to America, they took with them mushroom ketchup. In 1801, there was a huge breakthrough when tomato was added to the sauce. Gertrude O'Leary, born 16th of May 1889 in Southwark, London, was a friendly soul, well-liked by everyone in the Stokescroft area of Bristol, where... 
until her sister Kathleen's death in 1940, the two women had run The Bell in Hillgrove Street. She was passionately fond of animals, and as a memorial to her sister, she donated funds to provide an operating theatre at the RSPCA in St James Parade, although sadly the building was destroyed in the Blitz the following year. A devout Catholic, 66-year-old Miss O'Leary attended Mass at St Mary on the Quay, where she was acknowledged as a talented pianist, entertaining at social events there. She was described in the newspapers as a large woman with fading ginger hair. By 1949, she'd established a new business, an off-license, at 13 Thomas Street, directly opposite what is now the Bristol Service Centre. Here, she lived quietly with her cats and having friends pop in for visits in the afternoon when the shop was closed. The premises had been converted from one of a row of small houses in Thomas Street, which was in a poor working-class neighbourhood. Her biggest love was for cats, of which she had several, and she was mother-bountiful for all the stray cats in the area. In the corridor behind the shop, all cats came to be fed and petted. She bought them fish and other delicacies. None were ever turned away. The front room on the ground floor was used as the shop, and then there was a short, narrow passage to a room at the back, known as the shop parlour. The 30th of June 1949 was fine and sunny in Stokescroft, which was rather dusty and dilapidated after the bombing it had suffered in the war. It was also unusually quiet as the residents of Dalton Square had gone to Western Supermare for the day on their annual outing. At about 10.30am that Thursday, Mrs Metcalf, who lived at Three Cox's Buildings, glanced out the front window and saw a not-very-pleasant character talking to the elderly Mrs Brown next door. Mrs Metcalf had seen the man around the neighbourhood early in the week. He was a short, thin chap, aged about 46, dressed in a dirty overcoat, old grey trousers, a tatty trolby and down-at-heel shoes. When she realised the elderly Mrs Brown was getting quite agitated and nervous, Mrs Metcalf called out the window, asking what the man wanted. She learned he was looking for rooms. He was well-spoken, but with an accent she couldn't place. She told him there were some available, and he moved off in the direction of Stokescroft. At 2pm on the 30th of June, Gertrude O'Leary shut up shop and went through to her living quarters at the back to put her feet up and enjoy a nice cup of tea with a young neighbour, Mabel Long, sister of the Bristol Speedway rider, Mike Beddows. Mabel left at about 2.30pm. Perhaps Gertrude mentioned to her, as she had to another frequent visitor, Pat Fowler of Dalton Square, her unease regarding a short, shabbily dressed man with a swarthy complexion who had been hanging around the shop of late. Pat later said that Gertrude told her, I did not like the look of him. As the afternoon drew on, Mrs Elizabeth Seeley, who lived at number 15, was taking advantage of the sunshine out in her backyard. She heard a stifled scream and shortly afterwards saw a man wearing a trilby hat leave the rear entrance to Miss O'Leary's shop and walk away across a nearby wasteland. 
Word on the Street. Today, my friends, let us go forth to Fish Ponds Road in BS16 Bristol. This was the old road which led to the new pools in Kingswood Forest. In the 1600s to 1700s, the area was inhabited by colliers and quarrymen, living in mud huts they had constructed. Landowners encouraged them to convert these into stone-built dwellings and allocated half an acre to each inhabitant. The name Fishpond seems to have been first used in the early 18th century. As the day went on, more and more neighbours were puzzled that the back entrance Miss O'Leary usually kept locked was open that afternoon. A passing schoolgirl mentioned it to her parents and they suggested that Miss O'Leary was just letting cool air in during the hot summer day. Regulars were still not that concerned as time went on and the shop still wasn't open. They thought that the pleasant Miss O'Leary may have just decided to shut up shop early during the heat wave and go to the Downs or pop out for more supplies to sell. Beer was still in short supply then. And so it was eight hours after the murder in the evening around 10.30pm that regulars began queuing up outside the off-licence with a few of the more impatient customers banging on the door and calling out. Open up, girl. It's well gone, seven. But the building remained in darkness and neighbours began to grow more perturbed. Fred Dibble had popped in for a few bottles of beer but began to grow concerned. He immediately noticed, unusually, the door to the off-licence yard and her living quarters were both open. Mr Dibble popped his head around the door, asking, Girl, are you there? When Fred Dibble got no reply from inside the off-licence, he sensed that something was wrong and rang the police at 10.45pm. The policeman that found her body at 10.45pm said that he had been on duty in Thomas Street in Stokescroft when he was informed by a man, a 68-year-old retired engineer that lived at 11 Thomas Street, that the side door leading to the yard of 13 Thomas Street was open, which he said was unusual. He said that when he then examined the door in question, he saw that it was about six inches open, noting that it hadn't been forced. The policeman said that when he entered the small yard, he saw that the scullery door was ajar, and said that when he entered he found that the drawer of a bamboo hall cupboard in the passage had been ransacked, and that its contents, food and correspondence, littered the floor. He said that he then shone his torch through the partly open living room door, and saw Gertrude O'Leary lying on her back in front of the fireplace, with a ligature around her throat, apparently dead. When he examined the front door, the entrance to the shop, he found that it was locked and then went to a police telephone pillar nearby and reported the information to the police station and then returned to the shop. The other officers arrived at the shop almost immediately and the premises were searched but no one was found to be there. The policeman noted that there was nothing in the conduct or demeanour of the man that had reported seeing the door open that aroused his suspicion. The detectives who arrived examined the position of Gertrude O'Leary and found her lying on her back with her right arm extended above her head and her left arm at right angles to her body, 
her face was heavily bloodstained, and there were numerous deep wounds in her head and face, particularly in the region of her right ear and eye. Her head was in a pool of blood, and there was a ligature tied tightly around her neck in a single knot, torn from a piece of her clothing. The police found three blood-stained beer bottles in the room, and in the passage leading to the shop, they found another blood-stained bottle near a pool of blood, where it had been thought that Gertrude O'Leary had initially fallen after being attacked. There were also innumerable splashes of blood on the floor and wall, and those on the wall extended upwards to a height of about 18 inches, as though Gertrude O'Leary had been kicked or beaten as she lay on the floor. The police also found a few spots of blood behind the counter. When searching upstairs, the police found that the front bedroom was in complete disarray, with the mattress and bedclothes having been turned back and wardrobe and dressing table drawers opened and ransacked. They also found the sum of £5.10 in Bank of England notes under a tray on the dressing table. The back bedroom looked more or less the same, ransacked and in disarray. When the police searched for fingerprints along the route used by the murderer through the shop, they found 15 finger impressions, 14 of which were ultimately eliminated as belonging to people with legitimate access to the premises, but one set that could not be identified, a set of which were filed in the scenes of crime collection at New Scotland Yard. Gertrude's body was examined by a Bristol police medical officer soon after she was discovered, and he estimated that her death had taken place not less than six hours and not more than 12 hours earlier, and that her death was due to extensive head wounds. The pathologist that carried out her post-mortem said that Gertrude O'Leary had severe wounding of the head, counting in all 27 wounds to her head and face, varying from half an inch to one and three quarters of an inch in length, with much bruising of the tissues around them. He reported that the wounds were deep. In fact, one reached down to the bone of the skull, which was slightly chipped. Apart from the head wounds, she also had 11 severe bruises to her right arm, four extensive bruises on the back of her right hand, and six severe bruises on her left arm, four on the back of her left hand, and a fair amount of bruising in the deeper tissues of her neck where the ligature had been. He noted that there was no evidence of sexual interference. In the end though, he concluded that her cause of death was due to shock, due to the blows on the head and constriction around the neck. Amongst the items missing from Miss O'Leary's home, were a few of her prized possessions, including a gold watch and a gold pendant which was set with amethysts and seed pearls. The next day, Miss O'Leary's cats were seen waiting on the garden wall at the back of her house. Her favourite, a black and white tomcat, was the only witness to the crime. Hours after Detective Superintendent Phillips had been promoted to that position, he assembled a team of detectives and began investigating the brutal murder of this well-liked shopkeeper. The next day, Bristol CID was sufficiently alarmed to call in Scotland Yard, believing the killer could strike again. And so that afternoon, they took possession of a telegram which had been delivered to 13 Thomas Street, bearing a man's name. 
They also carried out house-to-house -house inquiries throughout a quarter of a mile radius of Thomas Street to trace any other person who might provide further information to help identify the suspect and that hostels, lodging houses, cafes and similar places were also frequently visited and the people there searched for information. On the 1st of July at about 4.15am, a policeman whilst engaged in another inquiry in Nelson Street near the Odeon Cinema found about six inches of the cuff of a white shirt which was heavily bloodstained, lying in the gutter of a street. The cuff was later examined and the blood grouping was found to be identical to that of Gertrude, Group A, which was however noted as being the second most common of all blood groups. Even the city's drains over a wide area were searched with the assistance of the local authorities in an effort to trace any weapon or missing jewellery, but nothing was found. And so, despite a large-scale investigation by police, with help from Detective Superintendent Frank Long and his assistant, Detective Sergeant Gill of Scotland Yard, the mystery of the man in the Trilby was never solved, and to this day it is unclear who he was. But as police knocked on more doors, more reports of suspicious strangers came in. Pat Fowler, another Dalton Square resident, said she had been in the shop a few days before the murder, when a man was in there. Miss Fowler said Miss O'Leary seemed nervous of him, and said she did not like the look of him. He was also described as shabbily dressed. Whether he was the same man as the one wearing a trilby still isn't clear, and the mystery man or men remain unknown. The Bath Chronicle of Saturday the 9th of July wrote, Bath CID made inquiries at lodging houses about the man who was sought for questioning by Bristol Police in connection with the recent murder there of Miss Gertrude O'Leary of Thomas Street. He is said to be between 40 and 45 years, 5 foot 4 inches to 5 foot 6 inches, slim, tanned, small and thin featured, with a lined face and serious expression, high forehead and cheekbones. He wore a dirty fawn Macintosh grey flannel trousers and down-at-heel shoes. A cuff torn from a white shirt has been found, and on it bloodstains of a similar group to the murdered woman. The police said that an examination of Miss O'Leary's banking accounts with the Westminster Bank and Stokes Croft showed that at her time of death, her deposit account stood at £140 and her current account at £340. It was noted that all the payments from her accounts were made to business firms and it was also obvious from the transfers made during the previous six months from her deposit account to her current account that she had been losing money on her business for some time. It was also reported on Monday the 4th of July 1949 that sadly Gertrude O'Leary had previously had her shop robbed some months before her murder, during which a gold watch was taken. It was after this she had taken the precaution of making regular visits to her bank to pay in her takings. It was also noted that the gold watch, which was stolen during her murder, was a replacement that she had recently purchased after the earlier robbery. 
Detectives even mingle with crowds outside St Marion's on the Quay on the 7th of July when Miss O'Leary's funeral was held during the morning. The traffic was held up while the coffin left after Requiem Mass. They were also present at Arnesfell Cemetery where she was buried. The only other big lead for police came when a man drinking in a cafe in Highbridge, North Somerset, were said to be discussing the murder just hours after it had happened, before it was known publicly. He told others in the tea shop he had been outside when the murder happened, but police never managed to track him down, and it just proved to be another dead end in the inquiry. The police published the description of the man they wanted in the Police Gazette of the 9th of September 1949, which was sent out to the forces in the west of England with a note to the effect that if he was located, no one should talk to him about the murder. So the police must have thought they had a huge breakthrough when they got a call from Torquay, because a man fitting the description was traced to Gainsborough in Newton Road on the 9th of September where he occupied a furnished room, and he was detained. The officers investigating the murder immediately left by the 9.35am train to Torquay and interviewed the man. But it was quickly established that he had a solid alibi, being employed at the Walcott Hotel in Torquay. Incidentally, once he was cleared, he successfully sued the police for £50 for wrongful arrest. The police report made a point of saying that the day of the murder coincided with the annual outing to the seaside by the residents of Thomas Street, which meant that, whereas in ordinary days, the residents would have been in the street or sitting on their doorsteps. But unfortunately on that day, the place was deserted. So now, over 84 years later, and with the killer probably no longer alive, there was never any justice for Miss Gertrude O'Leary, and the man with the Trilby hat may well have gotten away with murder. But the brutal attack and burglary at the off-licence have not been forgotten, and the case is still listed as an ongoing unsolved murder on Avon and Somerset's police books. Once upon a time. Boring. It was the best of times. It was the worst. You got that right. What's your problem? We want new stories. Hi, it's Frankie. And Garrett. And we host the ever-trending story, a weekly podcast where we bring to life a fictional story created by our own minds and some of the hottest, craziest trends from the internet. Find us wherever you download podcasts and be sure to join the fun on social media at EverTrendingPod. Mark Slater, the main witness in a Bristol court case, said, I never wanted to believe that my dad was stealing from his job as a road worker. But when I got home, all the signs were there. Back in the day facts. And so we start off with the 2nd of September 31 BC, the final war of the Roman Republic, 
the Battle of Actium. Off the western coast of Greece, forces of Octavian defeat troops under Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. On the 3rd of September, 1838, American social reformer, abolitionist, orator, writer and statesman Frederick Douglass escapes from slavery in Maryland. He becomes a national leader of the abolitionist movement in Massachusetts and New York, during which he gained fame for his oratory and incisive anti-slavery writings. Accordingly, he was described by abolitionists in his time as a living counterexample to enslavers' arguments that enslaved people lacked the intellectual capacity to function as independent American citizens. Northerners at the time found it hard to believe that such a great orator had once been enslaved, and just to prove the point, he went on to write his first autobiography, which became a bestseller and was influential in promoting the cause of abolition. On the 4th of September 1975, Mark Ronson, British-American musician, songwriter and DJ, was born in London, England. Also on the 4th of September, but in 1998, Google was founded by Larry Page and Sergey Brin, two students at Stanford University. On the 5th of September 1960, Muhammad Ali, who is then known as Cassius Clay, wins the gold medal in the light heavyweight boxing competition at the Olympic Games in Rome. On the 6th of September 1939, during World War II, the British Royal Air Force suffers its first fighter pilot casualty of the war at the Battle of Barking Creek as a result of friendly fire. The 7th of September 1923, the International Criminal Police Organisation, or Interpol, is formed. It's the world's largest international police organisation, and the headquarters are in Lyon, France, with seven regional bureaus worldwide, and a national central bureau in all 195 member states. And lastly, on the 8th of September 1945, the division of Korea begins when United States troops arrive to partition the southern part of Korea in response to Soviet troops occupying the northern part of the peninsula a month earlier. Well, I'm afraid that's the end of another show, which I hope you enjoyed. I'd like to take a moment to thank those who really brought today's story to life. And this week we have... Colin Ball, Carrie Ball, Sam Roberts and Molly Jeffries from St Stephen's Drama Group right here in Bristol. Thank you, one and all. Thank you once again for listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking up at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. I also occasionally post onto TikTok and Instagram. So do come along and find me because it's amazing to hear from you and get some feedback or even ideas for future shows. As a small independent podcaster, your help and support is always appreciated. And one way you can do that is to rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leaving a review also helps as it gives other people an idea of what the show's about. The show is regularly released on Mondays. So until next time, guys, take care 
and look after each other.